Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we were going to go ahead and get started here, and, uh, and we'll see if some other people join us in as we, uh, as we go along. Uh, but my name is Jason Jackson. I've gotten a chance to meet a few of you this morning or at uh, other points along the way. Uh, I just came on staff here at New Life Downtown as uh, the executive pastor just two months ago. So we're two months into our time here in Colorado Springs and uh, have an opportunity this morning to talk about uh, parenting as an expression of Christian hospitality. So we're in the middle of uh, a series here on Sunday School talking about uh, issues related to parenting and talking about different ideas. So the previous two weeks, um, Dustin shared with us kind of about some of the things that are happening in our culture related to pornography, what it's like to parent in the midst of that culture. Uh, and then today I'll share about hospitality. And then next week, Holly Packiam is going to share about how uh, the attachments in our, in our family of origin, how our original families and the attachment that we felt or didn't feel, how that plays out in our parenting uh, and in our marriages and talking about how some of those things related to our family of origin um, sort of find their expression in our lives uh, a little bit later on. Uh, but today, as I said, we're going to talk about parenting as Christian hospitality, uh, which is kind of an unusual concept to think about. Uh, for me, I know I wasn't even, this wasn't even a, a topic or something I thought about until uh, the fall of 2008. So in, in fall of 2008, my, uh, I was in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury Theological Seminary, and I was actually taking a class called the Ethics of Hospitality. Um, my wife was auditing the class with me, uh, and she was pregnant with our oldest, with Cora, uh, whose picture you see up there on the, uh, your right. And so we were taking this class. Uh, it was taught by a woman named Christine Pohl, uh, who wrote a book called Making Room, uh, which is kind of an introduction to Christian hospitality. And the whole course was kind of exploring the history and tradition behind distinctively Christian expressions of this act. And in the middle of it, we had a book that we were assigned to read called Reaching Out uh, by uh, a man named Henry Nouwen. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Nouwen, others not. He's a, a Dutch-born Catholic priest, actually, um, who wrote over 40 books on, the spirit, on spiritual life and what it means to follow uh, Christ, and his exploration of that, including a book um, called In the Name of Jesus, which is uh, a really beautiful book about Christian leadership. Uh, but this book called Reaching Out, he talks about these three distinct movements of the Christian life. Uh, one of them, he talks about the movement from loneliness to solitude. Uh, and it's really a movement that happens with the spirit inside of ourselves. Uh, and then the second part of the book is about a movement from hostility to hospitality talking about the, our relationship with others. And then finally, he talks about a movement from illusion to prayer, uh, talking about an intimacy and a relationship with God. Uh, but in the middle of this section on his, the movement from hostility to hospitality, he has this sort of section he starts going in and talking about parenting. And I remember at that time thinking, here we are, uh, pregnant with our first, taking this class together and getting ready to welcome really our first child into the home. Uh, and those words just sort of resonated with me uh, in that particular season. And he says this kind of in the middle of uh, what he was talking about there. He says, it may sound strange to speak of the relationship between parents and children in terms of hospitality, but it belongs to the center of the Christian message that children are not properties to own and rule over, but gifts to cherish and care for. Our children are the most important guests who enter our home, 
ask for careful attention, stay for a while, and then leave to follow their own way. And he, beg- and he continues on uh, in a number of different things that he says there, but the, the words resonated with the way of saying, what would it look like to kind of think about parenting according to the categories and traditions provided for us by this rich history of Christian hospitality? So this morning, what I want to do is kind of explore some of those things, like what is the Christian sort of view of hospitality, and then consider how that might shape our approach to parenting. Uh, So we'll spend some time talking about some very specific texts in the Bible that have really shaped what Christians think about the idea of welcoming others into our space. Uh, And then we'll try to apply, uh, we'll talk about some of the texts and traditions, and then we'll look at applying them. Uh, But what I want to do first is spend a little time for you to get to know one another. Uh, So if you want to grab somebody around you, introduce yourselves, and then just ask these two questions. What is hospitality, and what does that actually look like? Uh, Just to have some discussion that uh, gets us thinking in terms of what is hospitality, and what does that look like? All right, what were some of the things that you guys talked about around in your groups as far as what hospitality is and what hospitality looks like? Anybody have anything they wanted to share? Not everyone at once. Yes, in the back. Help me with your name. Chris? Inviting people in. Yeah, there's a... Yeah, there's a sense of invitation and then an entering into something. Very cool. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, we, we kind of discussed the same thing. You're welcoming somebody in your home. You're welcoming them into your life. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Very good. So there's that sense. Oftentimes it's very much home-based, right? Welcoming somebody into a space, oftentimes are homes, but not exclusively in homes. So there's another way of kind of welcoming people in. And then that, that word hospital, of course, connected to it. So there's a caring, a providing for that happens in the middle of that. Excellent. Any other thoughts or images that came to anybody's mind? Yeah, Alex. Yeah, there is, there's a real sense of, there's a feeling or emotion that comes along with hospitality. When you, when you experience like profound welcome, you, you sort of feel it in your bones. Of, there's a, a sense of safety and comfort and warmth in images that come along with that. Did anybody talk about food? We, at, least, we, at least we did. Like it, for me, it's hard to think about hospitality without thinking about food. In, in some capacity, that there's oftentimes uh, meals involved with the expression of hospitality. So when we think about the, the scriptures, and, um, there is uh, some very profound kinds of images of hospitality that we find throughout the Bible. Um, probably most clearly, we find it really actually at the very beginning. As we think about Genesis 1 and 2, and God creating this space, God creating the earth, there's a way of reading those texts that really sort of present all of creation as God's temple. 
as God is setting up this space as a place for him to inhabit and to be worshipped. And then this climax in the midst of the creation story is him creating people and welcoming them into his home and so that he might have fellowship with them. There's this real clear indication that the earth is the Lord's. This is his space, and we've been invited into that. Uh, so we see from the very beginning it's possible to, to look at some of these scriptures through this lens of guest and host uh, and seeing God as the great host of the universe and us as his most honored guests those who are created in his image and his likeness. Uh, perhaps maybe the most important and most influential text in the Old Testament as it comes to thinking about hospitality within the Christian tradition is this text in Genesis chapter 18, where it talks about uh, Abraham and Sarah uh, sitting at their tent and they notice three visitors coming. And these three guests are coming and approaching and Abraham rushes out and he welcomes them in and he asks Sarah to prepare an elaborate meal. And there's this entire interchange of these three strangers coming to Abraham and Sarah. And as the story continues, we recognize that as the story unfolds, that one of them is actually identified as Yahweh himself, and the other two are identified as his messengers. And there's this profound sense that Abraham and Sarah, in welcoming the stranger, have actually welcomed the Lord into their lives. And there's a profound moment then when roles start to shift. And so rather than Abraham and Sarah simply being the hosts, suddenly you begin to have promises and blessing being given for the Lord to Abraham and Sarah. And almost the roles switch a little bit. And the primary action is being driven by the Lord who says, hey, I'm going to come back in a, in a year from now and you're going to have a baby. And there's this reiteration of the promise of Isaac and a blessing that's given to the family in this very profound sense. This is probably, there's a scripture in Hebrews that talks about uh, that some have, uh, in the process of hospitality, have entertained angels without ever knowing it. This is probably where that idea comes from, is the sense of there's a welcome being given and then a blessing that's received in the middle of that. The contrast then, to the, probably the, the worst example of hospitality is the very next chapter as these two messengers are sent by Yahweh to Sodom and they go and they enter somebody's house and the people of Sodom want them to be given out to them so that they might uh, commit some real atrocities um, toward the guests. And we see the exact reversal of hospitality gone badly. Um, We see that also in Judges chapter 19 um, in the city of Gibeah where there's visitors who the people of the city uh, want to do harm to. And so we see both these positive and negative images of hospitality. Um, Probably the most consistent image that we see in the Old Testament, though, is the sense that uh, Israel are strangers or aliens in the land of Egypt. And then as a result of that, the stranger or the alien is given all sorts of Um, attention in Israel's law. The shift seems to be primarily this, that there's a a refrain that happens a number of times in the Old Testament that says, you shall love the stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. That there's a sense that because you had this experience of living outside of your land, 
that when you encounter others who are living outside of their land, you should extend some radical hospitality and love and generosity to them. Historically, the, the alien or the stranger has always been sort of identified as among the world's most vulnerable. But if we were to think about who are the vulnerable people in the world, the stranger or the alien tends to, li- to move toward the top of the list. They're separated geographically from their family and friends. They're typically isolated linguistically from their neighbors. There's some sort of language barrier that they experience. They're, I- uh, they're disconnected informationally from support systems. I mean, even if you think about moving to a new town, you don't know necessarily which doctor to go to or where to get your groceries or where the best, where the best mechanic is, um, that you know you're not going to be treated um, you know, unusually poorly. So there's a sense of being disconnected from the important information of life. Uh, and there's a disconnectedness from, spiritually from faith communities. And so the stranger is oftentimes completely dependent upon the hospitality of others in order to meet everyday needs. Uh, but others often feel threatened by unknown persons as well. So when we see unknown people, strangers or aliens in our space, we often correspondingly feel threatened by them uh, to such a degree that the ability to welcome the stranger or alien is often impacted by our own fear. We can become immobilized in that sort of sense. So this unique disposition of sort of unparalleled dependence and perceived danger uh, elevates or intensifies the alien or stranger's level of vulnerability. That there's a sense that these folks are quite vulnerable. So the stranger often requires a very distinctive kind of hospitality, one that has historically been offered by the people of God. That one of the distinctive features of Israel's law is the way in which they legally tried to protect the alien or stranger in their midst. Uh, So we see things like uh, the gleaning laws, where those who were involved in agriculture were not supposed to harvest to the edges of their fields, but leave those unharvested so the stranger or alien could come and have free access to food. Or they had things like the triannual tithe, which were given to strangers and aliens. Uh, They were promised impartiality in the courts, Uh, that they would be protected judiciously within Israel society. And then even things like the cities of refuge, places that they could go if they were accused of crime uh, to be protected. When we move on from the Old Testament and we see this continue in the New Testament, the hospitality really is at the heart of the gospel and at the the center of the early church's practice. Uh, So we see this first and foremost with Jesus himself, that Jesus uh, vulnerably becomes incarnate as a human and comes in baby form, right? Doesn't just simply incarnate as a self-sufficient adult, but actually enters into the world in the womb of a virgin. Takes the most vulnerable sort of place um, and is dependent upon the welcome of his parents, of being cared for by Mary and Joseph who really are the first two people to receive Jesus in the world. And the contrast of that, of course, in the infant narratives of Jesus, is the lack of hospitality of Herod, who feels so threatened by the arrival and news of Jesus' arrival in the world that goes to try and eliminate Jesus' life. So you see this protection versus 
uh, threat being played out in these early chapters. Then as Jesus goes into his ministry, we see Jesus inviting disciples to come and follow him, to be with him, an act of hospitality, an act of welcome. But then he also, we see Jesus sending them out and very clearly says, hey, don't take anything with you, but as you go to proclaim the good news about God's kingdom, go to people's homes, and if you're welcomed, then receive from those uh, who would give to you. But take nothing to sustain yourself, but depend upon the welcome of others. Jesus' ministry is typically marked by hospitality. He's continually eating and drinking with all of the wrong people. There's so many of the stories that we find about Jesus that are take place in a home around a meal. This becomes a center part of kind of who he is. Uh, he's frequently in homes, sometimes even inviting himself. Think about the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus is there climbing up in this tree. Jesus sees him and says, hey, come down for I'm coming over. <laughs> inviting himself into Zacchaeus' home as both a guest, but then there's times where Jesus actually then takes over the meal. Um, he's coming into somebody's home, but then taking over as the host of that space. Um, we see very profoundly that when Jesus is getting ready to head toward the cross and his resurrection, the very last thing that he does with his disciples is he shares a meal with them. And he tells them that this will become the center point of their community. That as often as you are together, do this in remembrance of me. That of all the things that Jesus could have set up, for his disciples to do in light of his death and resurrection, he primarily gives them a meal and says that this is going to be the center of community life, is the coming together to a table, uh, which gives us really a paradigm of what welcome should look like, of how it is that God has welcomed us into his family through the person of Jesus, and therefore then how we welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed us. And as we continue on in the story, we look in the book of Acts and elsewhere. For the early church, their primary meeting was a home-based fellowship. That the early church grew in the context of homes, as people were inviting one another in and sharing meals together. As the apostles and prophets went out to spread the good news of the gospel, they were dependent upon the welcome of others into their homes and into their fellowships. Uh, we see that the, the meal became an absolutely important part of the early church's life together. Uh, this idea that Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all of these social and ethnic boundaries are being transcended by coming together in a home around a meal. And it was this, became this huge witness to the inbreaking kingdom of God about how these people who used to have no relationship with one another are now sitting at a table and eating together in the name of Jesus. That a lot of early Christian uh, historians will say that hospitality became the key apologetic for the church. That the true witness that something had drastically changed in and through Jesus was the way in which people expressed their reconciliation with God by reconciling with one another around a table or around a meal. And so as we follow into Paul's instructions, he's frequently then talking about how it is that we welcome one another. Um, he says in Romans chapter 15, welcome one another then just as Christ has welcomed you. That there's a very profound sense in the Christian tradition that Jesus has welcomed us 
therefore we welcome one another. Uh, this becomes a rhythm for our life together as the people of God. So let's take a moment. I know there's a lot of text uh, right there, but as you think about those stories and those pictures, um, oh, I forgot one thing. I missed one really big one. I need to go back. I forgot about Jesus' teachings. <laughs> this is profoundly part of Jesus' teaching as well, in the same way that Genesis 18 is probably the most important passage in the Christian tradition about hospitality in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the most important one is probably Matthew 25, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he talks to them about this is the parable of the sheep, of, and the sheep and the goats. And he says in that, that I was a stranger and you welcomed me. The church began to embrace this idea that in welcoming the stranger, we actually welcome Jesus. That there's an encounter that happens in welcoming the stranger. We see that uh, connection as well. All right, so what stood out to you? What observations would you make um, from things that you saw there? Anything that surprised you or stood out? Yeah, help me with your name again. Randy. Randy? Randy? All right, Jason, good to meet you, Randy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then it's the strangers that actually rescue him and rescue his daughter in the middle of that. Yeah, but it's one of those stories you go, yeah. Yeah, but Lot himself was. Yeah, that's a great point, Randy. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, help me with your name again. Dave. Dave. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great question. The question is just, you know, if we see God as a great host, how do we replicate that in our own homes? What does that look like in a way, um, not only for our own kids, but for guests that come into our home and uh, those things? I'm going to get into some of the practical stuff a little bit later on in terms of like what that actually looks like. Um, and we'll toss around some ideas at that point. If we can hold on to that until we get to those slides, is that okay? All right, great. Thank you. Anybody else? Any other observations or things that really stood out to you? Anything that surprised you? Okay. Um, so here's a couple of observations I see as I kind of look through the text and see some of the ways in which the tradition has been shaped. So we see hospitality in the scriptures is extended not only to family and to friends, but to strangers and enemies. So one of the really distinctive aspects of the Christian faith is that we extend hospitality to those who are the most vulnerable, to those who are unable to pay, and even to those that it may be risky to extend, extend hospitality to. Because that's exactly what Jesus did with us. Uh, the second thing you see is that there is some danger and difficulty in hospitality for both parties. Um, hospitality is never portrayed in the sense of that it's just super easy 
and that it doesn't have challenges and dangers associated with it. Uh, in welcoming any stranger into your home, there's an element of the unknown that comes along with that. Uh, hospitality can have its own unique demands uh, that it places on us. Uh, hospitality often exposes um, our limits, our inadequacies, our, vulnerab- our vulnerabilities um, in ways that other things don't. Um, so that it requires some sense of boundaries in order to sustain, um, that there is um, some things that get set up to say, okay, what does it mean to continue to do this? Um, because unlike God, we do have limitations, we have vulnerabilities. Um, and yet we see that throughout the scriptures that, witness, that our own hospitality becomes a witness to the hospitality of God. That the way in which the church welcomes displays a God who is a very welcoming God. I think it's unique that Jesus identifies himself as both the guest and the host. Um, that we find Jesus taking both roles and identifying in both capacities. Uh, probably the most profound thought is that in receiving others, we actually receive Christ. That there is a, a sense in the Christian tradition that welcoming guests into our lives brings us into connection with the divine. That there's a, a true encounter with God that can happen in welcoming others into our lives. Uh, there is a, uh, throughout the history, a mutual giving and receiving, not an equal giving and receiving, and not, always, not a mandatory giving and receiving. Uh, but in Abraham and Sarah, they gave and they also received. Uh, that there was this sense of even we think sometimes the host is the one who's primarily giving, that there is something that the guest offers. There's something that the host receives in the middle of those things. Uh, and there comes with it, I think, hospitality, the promise of blessing and transformation. That if it really is Christ who we're welcoming and the person who's coming into our home, then there's a sense of blessing and transformation that's possible for us in the middle of that. And so, of course, the question is, what does that have to do with our kids? What, is, what does all that have to do with parenting and kids? And this language that we find in the scriptures actually extends specifically to children. That Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18 that whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. That not only does the New Testament talk about that when we welcome a stranger, do we welcome Jesus into our lives, but that when we welcome kids, that we welcome Jesus into our lives as well. There's a profound sense that whatever parenting looks like, whether that is we have biological children and we welcome them into our lives, whether we have adoptive children and we welcome them into our lives, whether we become guardians or caretakers uh, for children in our lives uh, from family or neighbors or whatever that looks like, or even in the context of the church, as we welcome kids into our lives, that there's an element of hospitality toward children that places us in connection with Jesus in some very unique and profound ways that he promises to show himself to us in and through those relationships. And so as we kind of think through some of the things related to hospitality and how they might um, compare to parenting, I think there's a, a sense that parenting witnesses in the same way that hospitality does to the hospitality of God. It shows and displays God's hospitality not only to our kids, but to other people that see us welcoming kids in those ways. Whether that's in our own, our own families or even in the church. 
that there's a profound sense, I think, for when visitors come to a church and they find that their kids are welcomed by the community, that it says something about God in the church to those who are coming and visiting. There's something really profound that happens there. The same is true for our kids, that we get to put the hospitality of God on display in our homes. Uh, It's an incredible call and a really beautiful invitation uh, to actually witness to the great host of the universe uh, in the context of our own lives. Uh, But, like hospitality, parenting presents its own dangers and its own difficulties. There are... Uh, parenting is not the easiest thing that we're ever going to do in the course of our lives, whatever that welcome looks like. Uh, Interacting with kids in some way, there's an element of the unknown that happens. Um, For the family who finds out that they're pregnant, there's all these unknowns. Um, What will this child be like? What will this child bring? Uh, For those who are adopting kids, there's all sorts of unknowns about What have they experienced up until this point in their lives? Who is this person and what will it be like uh, for us to all live under one roof together? Uh, We know that hospitality can be, or parenting can have its own sense of incredible demands of late nights and early mornings and cleaning up vomit and changing diapers and providing meals for more people than just yourself. Um, the, the demands can sometimes be unending. That uh, parenting, maybe more than other things in our lives, exposes our limits and our inadequacies and makes us feel quite vulnerable. Um, and especially when our parenting is put on display for others. <laughs> it can feel that sense of, uh, well, I'm just not doing this as well as maybe I hoped or thought I would do. Um, But we also see that parenting really is a unique opportunity to encounter Jesus in and through our kids. I think we oftentimes think primarily in terms of parenting about how we show Jesus to our kids and maybe not enough about how we see and encounter Jesus through our kids. That we think primarily in terms of one direction rather than two. That there is a profound sense that Jesus comes to us through our kids he makes himself known to us through the children in our lives and that they can bring us into connection uh, with God in very profound and unique and wonderful ways. And I think when we embrace that perspective, it elevates the relationship really to a sacred level, not just simply a um, practical or functional sort of level, uh, but actually a, a sacred level. It opens us up to receiving from them and hearing from God through them and gives us the opportunity to see our kids as a source of life and grace and vitality, and not simply as a drain on our energy and our resources. <laughs> of seeing like, oh, there's an opportunity here to meet and encounter Jesus. Uh, but parenting also, like other hospitality, involves mutual giving and receiving. Not equal by any means. The giving and receiving is not equal, uh, and it's not even mandatory. Right? We make choices um, to give and to receive um, with our kids. Uh, but hopefully as time goes on, the mutuality increases as our kids get older. There's very little mutuality that happens when they can't talk and they can't bathe themselves, and they, you know, can't help in any of the normal sort of aspects of life. Uh, but they, they do come to us perhaps as the most vulnerable guests. 
as those who are 100% dependent upon us for everything. Um, and yet as they grow, hopefully they grow into mutual hosts, those who help us create places of hospitality in our home where we welcome one another, um, that we recognize that eventually they do leave. You know, at various ages, depending upon your family dynamics, uh, most children do eventually leave and go out and create their own spaces of welcome. Um, and we recognize uh, in the lack of mandatoriness of it um, that we're ultimately responsible for our side of the equation. That as our kids grow, they make choices in the middle of that. And we uh, wrestle through what does it mean to welcome and continue to uh, enter into this giving and receiving relationship with them. And I think lastly, that parenting does include this promise of blessing and transformation. That there is a profound sense that if Jesus is coming to us and making himself known to us in and through our kids, that there's a blessing that's wrapped up here and there's an opportunity for us to be changed and shaped in the image and likeness of Jesus uh, in very unique ways. What does it mean for, uh, for myself to be transformed into God's image through this uh, particular act. So, uh, all of that to say, here's some, some thoughts about what I think this is trying to look like in Sarah's in my life. This is my wife, Sarah, by the way. Um, and sitting next to her is my brother who's in town visiting. Um, hopefully, we're doing an okay job hosting him uh, over the course of the next couple of days. But these are some of the ways that we, are, we personally are attempting to apply this. Uh, certainly not arrived uh, in any way. Um, and there's always a, a trepida- trepidation that comes when you talk about parenting, because uh, then you go and meet my kids and go, "Wow, that was a <laughs> that guy. That guy needs some more help." Um, and th- those things. But here are some of the things that that we think about and talk about in in some capacities, and sometimes not even real explicitly, but uh, implicitly. And I think one, and I think David, you were getting at this. That there's a sense that parenting, at a very fundamental level, involves providing a safe space for our kids. How is it that we create a safe environment? A couple of weeks ago, in our, our first week here, uh, one of our children threw just a massive tantrum. Like, she, she was out late. She fell asleep in the car. Uh, we didn't pack the pajamas with us. So we had to, you know, she woke up, and we needed to change her clothes. Um, and, you know, she didn't want to change her clothes, and it turned into like an hour and 15 minute just yelling, screaming. In the middle of it, she kept yelling, this is not a safe place for me. <laughs> and there's a part of the way that I look back on it, and it's, it's humorous, but there's other parts like, but that's so counter what we want to do. Like, we want to create a safe place for our kids, a place that's safe for their emotions, right? It's safe for them to be sad. It's safe for them to be angry. It's safe for them to be happy. It's safe for them to experience uh, a sense of they've been rejected somewhere else, but this is a safe place where they can come and find welcome. It's a place that's safe for their questions uh, as they ask questions about our lives, as they ask questions about one another, as they ask questions about God, as they ask questions about our culture and the things that are happening, that it's a place where their questions are met with respect and recognition and honor um, and, in, and addressing them in ways. So it, hopefully it's a safe place where we encourage exploration without rejection. It's a place where maybe our kids can experiment with things and fail, and that's okay. 
Like, yeah, you tried it. It didn't go so well. Do you want to try it again? Do you not want to try it again? Uh, in a place where they can explore who it is that God made them to be and how he gifted them um, and allow them to grow into those gifts without feeling the undue pressure of being able to uh, perform in those ways that maybe aren't going to happen without lots of time and lots of practice and lots of failure. It's a place where they can learn to listen to God and discover their gifts. But it's a place then that requires that we set up certain boundaries to keep it a safe place. What does it mean for us to do that um, in our context, that we create a safe place that also is a welcoming place for them and for others? Uh, For us, we recognize, I think, parenting involves... Uh, setting a table. That there is a profound sense that we are trying not well but to recover the importance of a family meal in a culture where the family meal is, compl- is lost in many ways. Um, that the table becomes a place of welcome and conversation and celebration and listening and teaching. Not primarily a place of teaching <laughs> but a place of conversation and celebration and welcome. And I can tell you, it is for us at this point, our kids are seven, four, and two. This is more of a struggle than it is anything else. (laughs) Our table is more likely a place of whining and teasing and chomping um, than it is a place of conversation and celebration at this point. And yet I think the table is worth the struggle um, to say we want to continue to be at the table together and learn what it means to sit down and share a meal that's more than just sharing food that's sharing life in a way that causes us to look one another in the eye um, and share about our lives together. So some of it for us is trying to do things like, hey, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? Um, Kinds of conversations around the table uh, and and seeing those things. I think number three for us is trying to figure out how do we embrace our kids as they are, um, as people made in the image of God, deserving of recognition and respect and looking to say how do we steward or shepherd who God has made them to be rather than how do we make them to be what we want them to be. (laughs) Right? There's a profound sense sometimes that some of our greatest challenges with our kids sometimes are very core to who God made them to be Uh, and things that we would like to change or get rid of are sometimes the very things that if they're nurtured Um, become very clear expressions of the beauty of God in their lives. And that requires us to be patient in the process. Now, and says uh, in that book I was talking about, it says, children are not properties we can control as a puppeteer controls his puppets or train as a lion tamer trains his lions. They are guests that we have to respond to, not possessions we are responsible for. The sense of how how do we respond to the people that God has made them um, to be. I think four, it's recognizing our own limitations without identifying with them. There's a sense, I think, we've moved into a place where I think there's this freshing honesty that's taking place in our culture, where there's a lot of just being able to name our own issues, name our struggles, name our limitations um, as parents. Uh, But sometimes that culture of honesty can become a little defeatist. It's like, this is just who I am, and, I'm always, and this is how it's always going to be. And we almost begin to take an undue pride in our problems um, and our struggles. 
uh, I think it's important for us to be both honest and optimistic, truthful and hopeful, um, because we have to remember as Christians that we're not alone in this journey of parenting. Uh, that it's not just us and our kids, but the Holy Spirit is at work in our homes. Uh, and we are surrounded by a community of people uh, who are saying that we're going to do this together. When we dedicate babies on Sunday morning, we make promises to one another that say, you, you are not alone in this journey of parenting, but we are in this together as a church family. But we do still need to recognize that we have limited time and limited capacity, uh, that we really do need help in this process of parenting. And we do need to take care of ourselves and our relationships. That soul care, taking care of ourselves, our emotional and spiritual well-being, is not a selfish act. Taking care of ourselves is not a selfish act. I am a better dad when I've gotten sleep. I am a better dad when I'm connecting with my friends. I am a better dad when Sarah and I are doing well in our marriage. I am a better dad when there is a sense of care that's happening in my life that allows me then to care for my kids. So we recognize our limitations, we own them, but I don't think we simply stay there uh, with them and, and um, over-identify with them. I think the, third, the fifth thing that we're wrestling with is how to receive God's grace through our kids. And asking the question, how is Jesus trying to show himself to me right now? Um, how, do I, how am I seeing or encountering Jesus? Uh, my oldest daughter, Cora, um, is a source of constant energy and fun. She actually put on a shirt the, yesterday, and it, she looked at it and it said, F-U-N, fun, Dad, that's my favorite word. <laughs> and she, that is her life, is fun, fun, fun. I'm the dad who's like, okay, fun happens after everything's put away and everything's cleaned up and all the responsibilities are taken care of, then we can have fun. And sometimes Cora drives me nutty <laughs> with just like everything's a party. And yet I re- in, my, in my best moments I recognize Jesus is trying to teach me something in the, through this kid um, that, that play doesn't have to come after work. Uh, that there can be a sense of play and joy in the midst of every day. Uh, and learning how to recognize how God's trying to show me that in the midst of her life and how he, who he's made her to be, rather than trying to parent that out of her, um, how do I receive that into my own life? And then lastly, um, how do we let them grow and let them go? Uh, when Sarah was pregnant with Cora, I had a friend of mine who told me, you know, from the moment that you cut that, um, that cord, it's going to be one long journey in learning how to let go. Learning how to allow our kids to grow, to develop their own freedom and their own courage, uh, to move to a place where we accept them as hosts in our own lives, um, hosts in our family, and ultimately, what does, it, what does it mean to kind of move to a place where we're not only their parents, but we also become their friends, their brothers and sisters in Christ, as they grow and develop themselves. We will always stay their parents, 
And yet, the relationship changes as they move into their own spaces and welcome us into those places as well. So those are a few of the things that we're struggling with and wrestling with and trying to think about in our own parenting, um, what that looks like. I know, Dave, this is just starting to get maybe at some of the things that you, that you were looking at, but any thoughts that you have in the middle of that or to come back to your great question? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's so that's so great, David. To, to thanks for sharing that because I think that is part of the struggle is that we we're, we fight to be consistent, right? and then find ourselves utterly inconsistent at times, that uh, we long to be a safe place, and sometimes uh, we have these moments where um, we look back on and say, wow, I was anything but safe for my child right then. Um, I think for, uh, for, for me, the way that that's trying to express itself is uh, we actually just finished a year of parent counseling the last year before we moved here, um, meeting with a... a counselor who specializes in kids and meeting with them every couple weeks and uh, in the midst of that um, I found that a calling to say that I'm sorry more often to look at my kids like after I've done something or said something I shouldn't say to go to them and say I'm really sorry I should not have lost my temper um, please forgive me um, and having that conversation with our kids uh, I think models for them the kind of life that uh, God invites us into, a life of repentance, um, but helps kind of move toward a safe place too, where we, we name, that was not right. Um, that's not what, what you should be receiving from me. Um, and the more I would do, I think it helps us in that. Um, and then the consistency piece is what kinds of things can we set in place for soul care, uh, as well as maybe rhythms uh, in the family. And that's something... Uh, I think we've struggled with a whole lot is kind of finding rhythms that can that are become predictable kinds of things for our kids uh, that feel really safe for them. We were at another family's house a couple Fridays ago, and they just have this great simple like Sabbath liturgy that they do. That on Friday night they all gather around, they share communion together, and they bless their kids. And it, it takes like five minutes, um, but I, I wonder over the years, the kids hearing their parents speak a blessing over them every Friday for years, what kind of safety that those little things can create that um, don't require, you know, five hours of prep, but five minutes of attention. Uh, Other thoughts, questions? Yeah. Nick's only 13, by the way. Don't think that he's older than that. I made that mistake earlier today. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is, I think, that profound sense that it, it's that of letting go is an act of trust um, and knowing what does that look like. Um, and it, you know, it changes a little bit, you know, with, with each passing year. Um, you know, 13 comes, then 14, then 16, then 18, then 21. Um, what does that look like to, um, to let go just a, a, a little bit more to create some more space for, for freedom and responsibility and courage that, and yet a way that's still safe, um, right? Where it's, it's just it, that we don't place our kids in a situation where, um, we've created a space for them to make a mistake that's going to cost them for the rest of their lives, but given them space to be able to explore and some freedom and some space to fail, that where there's still a huge safety net there, right? Of saying, okay, I'm going to try this, but I'm going to be right here uh, alongside of you and see what that looks like. Because knowing at some point they're going to be 25, 28, 30, um, and the ways that we can be there to then start to look a little different than when they were two or four or six uh, from there. And that, I think that makes parenting an art, right? Of a, a, a huge process of spiritual discernment. Okay, God, in this particular moment with this particular kid, how would you like me to respond? So every kid is different and every moment is different um, in their lives and trying to discern, okay, what is it? God, that you might be doing here in them and in me in this moment. Uh, very good. Any other thoughts, questions, ideas you have? We've got another minute or two. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, because those of you who didn't hear, that sense of, you know, for um, parents who have children with uh, any sort of disability or challenge in a way that changes some of these dynamics, that the kind of mutual mutuality that gets expressed sometimes maybe in a, in a what we would say like a traditional sort of parenting environment, sometimes is never fully realized or not realized at all in some of those cases. Um, where it may have a child who requires the constant care of their parents um, throughout their entire lifetime and the kind of um, unique um, challenge that that is in the middle of it is you have, um, instead of a 
well, we could say like a long-term guest is kind of a normal child who maybe is a little bit temporary because at some point they likely will move out of the house. But you have some parents who are um, have a child who will be with them forever um, or within this, within this lifespan um, of being their kind of primary caregiver. Um, and I think what you'd said in the midst of that was, it's really clearly at that point that the community becomes such an important aspect of caring not only for our own kids and welcoming our own kids, but how is it that we help other parents do the same thing for their kids, uh, especially those who may find um, themselves in a place that they never imagined that they would be. I think the same thing could be true said for, uh, for single parents um, who have a different kind of challenge in the midst of um, their own expressions of parenting to their kids than those who come from two-parent households. And what does that look like? How these dynamics become, the, maybe the dangers and the difficulties uh, become increased in those kind of situations. And at the same time, an opportunity to still encounter Jesus and to find his grace in ways that maybe we didn't expect to find and, and see. As Jesus comes really in the most vulnerable in those cases. Yeah. Anybody else? New dad, Jay, do you have anything to that? Jay's been a dad for a few weeks. <laughs> that sounds about right. Like three weeks in and I'm nailing all of this right now. <laughs> all right, well, let's pray together. Gracious Father, we recognize that you are the great host. That you have welcomed us into your family through the giving of your Son. And that we now find ourselves as your adopted sons and daughters with a place at the table of the Most High King. And we have been reconciled to you in Christ. At the same time, you've made us ambassadors of your reconciliation. That it's then through us that you want to send us out into the world to employ, implore others to be reconciled to you as well, to be welcomed into the family of God. And you call us to do that particularly with the kids that wind up in our homes, our children and those that we're caring for as parents or guardians or grandparents or teachers or children's workers, whatever that happens to look like, you um, have encouraged us to welcome them. And then you've promised that in welcoming them, we actually welcome you. And so there's an opportunity in the midst of this welcome um, to encounter you in ways that change us and transform us and bless us beyond our expectation. And this is something that you alone can do. And so as we receive your welcome and as we attempt to embody your welcome as parents, we ask for your help, for your strength, for your courage, for your discernment, uh, for all the things that we need. We're grateful for the Spirit being at work in our homes and for connecting us to other families to help us in this process. As we go from here, help us to look at our kids with the profound wonder and expectation of divine encounter. A divine encounter with you through them.
We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you, everybody. I'm going to hang around for a little while if you want to talk some more. Uh, and then we will uh, be back next week as Holly talks about how uh, our early families, our families of origin and the attachments that uh, we had or didn't have with them impact our marriages and our relationships with our kids. Have a good day.